Are you an independent thinker ready to explore the depths of the human mind? Look no further than the Discover More podcast. My name is Benoit Kim, and together we will embark on a journey of intellectual discovery. Discover More is a top social science podcast for independent thinkers with mental health as a throughline. We cover topics like spirituality and the science of flow. Here's Joshua Greenfield. A goal is something that gets you from one place to another. The reason people say it's the journey, not the destination, is because by the time you've taken that journey, you're a completely new person. It doesn't mean that the goal is bad, but it's when we attach ourselves to thinking, okay, the reason I'm doing this is for the goal. Join me on the Discover More journey as we unravel fascinating social science topics and explore the frontiers of mental health. Available on YouTube and all major platforms. Subscribe today. This series is presented by Humankind Public Radio in association with the BTS Center, funding provided by the Henry Luce Foundation. You're listening to the Spiritual Care Podcast. I'm David Freudberg. This time, Interfaith Understanding on Campus. at Vanderbilt, being, working with students who are, you know, higher order thinkers, critical thinkers. Sometimes they like to compartmentalize the way that they're able to challenge their professors and, and challenge what they're being taught um, as it relates to their faith, because maybe there's an idea that faith is a certainty all the time. Um, I happen to believe that faith is moving forward in, in the midst of your uncertainties and in the midst of the uh, unknown and your doubts. And so I think helping students to navigate the gray and not need to be so black and white is a part of what I'm called to do as a chaplain. That's Reverend Chantel Hinton, an ordained minister in the Christian church who also holds a master's in electrical engineering. Reverend Hinton is assistant chaplain at Vanderbilt University in Nashville. She works often one-on-one with students, particularly students of color, who she prays with and counsels. The university chaplain and director of religious life at Vanderbilt is United Methodist minister Mark Forrester. A few years ago, a professor here, who is now retired, wrote a very incendiary piece in the local paper about Muslims, who was actually calling for them to be under greater surveillance by our State Department. Our Muslim students in particular, as they read this piece, were very shocked to, to, to discover that, uh, that this had emanated from the university, although it was a very isolated case. Immediately, they got together with this office, with the Multicultural Center, with the Dean of Students Office, but it was the students who really decided to take this to the next step of, of having a peaceful vigil on the uh, library lawn that following Saturday. And it wasn't just the Muslim Student Association, but it was Christian students, it was Hillel, it was Chabad. It was even, ironically, during rush week. And so Greeks turned out. And so we had just a a, a plethora of many different kinds of students from various religious backgrounds who were all coalescing around our Muslim students saying, we are one Vanderbilt here, we are for you, we stand here with you. Vanderbilt has a long history of promoting dialogue among people of different religious and racial groups. 
The Interfaith Council, a student organization sponsored by the University Office of Religious Life, tries to create a safe space where religious differences on campus can be bridged. Its president is Sean Curry from Richmond, Virginia, who's studying religion and anthropology. He recognizes the challenge of working through religious differences. I do believe we can step beyond them. I do believe that beyond just tolerating other people's views and other people's experiences, we can find a way to relate to them and to respect them for what they are and to embrace them, in a sense, and, and see them on equal footing. Um, but that is going to be a process where we have to intentionally, deliberately focus on that as we move forward, not just throughout our college experiences, but our entire lives. I really enjoy being around different people, and I feel like they teach me, and I learn so much from people that I still disagree with. This is Dr. Osama Balul, imam and resident scholar at the Islamic Center of Nashville. He's also an affiliated chaplain for the Vanderbilt campus. Diversity is rich, and it's a very good tool for someone to deepen even his or her own understanding. I have to say, most of the people are decent. And sometimes a small issue here and there come to become big because it's, uh, this is the way media works. But, but most of the human beings are fine. Most of, the, most of the people are good. I grew up in Egypt, and I didn't see people white or black. I, I, I grew up not even struggling with this. I saw people as people. Diversity is good. I think uh, we can enjoy it. We can continue to have our own position comfortably and uh, enjoy a meaningful discussion. And uh, if we can eliminate hate, I think we'll be fine. Uh, and, and not to be worried about losing your own identity. Uh, I, I think it's doable. Uh, and each one can, uh, can continue to be him or herself. And that's a concern sometimes lurking in these discussions. Must I abandon my own deeply held convictions in order to be truly welcoming of those with different beliefs? Vanderbilt University chaplain Mark Forrester. There are so many factors that just immediately will bring tensions uh, into a larger campus environment. And I don't see that, uh, that all tensions in and of themselves are necessarily uh, bad or destructive. I think that there are creative tensions in life that, uh, that actually expand us and help us to live with a greater sense of life's complexity. And so I think part of what we do as religious leaders, it, to the extent that we can be successful with this, is, um, is to act as bridges, as go-betweens, and to be religiously conversant uh, with, with uh, communities that are defined uh, by other sacred texts, uh, by other cultural upbringings, uh, doesn't mean that we are necessarily experts, but that we act as kind of go-betweens. And uh, in, in doing so, that we help to translate, uh, to some extent, what those tensions really mean one to another. Because I think oftentimes the tensions that become destructive are because we are in uh, a misunderstanding about, you know, uh, either what is what has been said or what has been done, um, and um, oftentimes that's part of the growing experience is that we learn where we have uh, offended another uh, quite unintentionally. 
And as the world has repeatedly shown, ethnic, religious, and racial sensitivities are sometimes simmering beneath the surface and can erupt into outright conflict. The worst things that can happen from this is actual murder. I mean, people can hate each other so much they want to kill each other. So that's the, that's the worst thing that can happen from tensions. Rabbi Shlomo Rothstein is the Chabad representative to Vanderbilt University. Some of the other bad things that can happen from not having healthy tensions, like Mark was pointing out before, is people lose all sense of self. Because your tension is in this sense of, here's who I am, here's who you are. Explain that, please. Well, if I don't have, an, if I don't have, a, bound, if I don't have a boundary, if I take, take away all my boundaries, then I may not have any tension with you. I also may not have any understanding of who I am. And losing one's sense of self is also, unfortunately, a terrible thing that we see happening on college campuses as well. I think that feeds a lot into suicides and depression. So having a healthy sense of self and the healthy tension that we spoke about earlier, plus making sure that there's a, there's a, there's a, a getting together and understanding between different communities is very important. Uh, one of the key pieces, I think, is well, two key pieces. One is, as soon as tensions lead to hatred, then you know the tensions are unhealthy. That's number one. And the key, I think, to taking away unhealthy tensions and hatred is by finding within one's own faith tradition, and this is our job as leaders to teach this to our people, how our faith itself teaches love for our neighbor. And do you think that cuts across all the great traditions? I think it does, but I also think that it's easy. I think that in, in many traditions you can find verses and passages that come from one direction or the other. And I think as part of, of, as part of being a shepherd, we need to find the right, the right food to feed and make sure we pick out and highlight those verses and those ideas that we know are foundations. Campus chaplains are often trying to find the balance point between faithfulness to tradition and a spirit of open intellectual inquiry that is a hallmark of academic life. Reverend Chantel Hinton. I'm putting on a monthly um, gathering called The Shop. Um, traditionally, for people of color, going to the barbershop or the beauty shop is a place where you talk about everything, right? You talk about God, you talk about life, politics, sex, everything that's off limits in churches. Um, and I'm trying to replicate that on campus. So last month we talked about um, uh, black church religion, and I had um, a pastor come who the, the students absolutely love and adore this pastor. They go to his church, and they were able to ask him questions about the church in a way that I feel like is formative in, in helping them develop their faith and what they believe, um, questions that you don't normally ask in church. And I think that is very, very key for helping students to develop their faith is being comfortable with questions, um, being comfortable with questions that uh, the Bible leads you to, any sacred text leads you to, and then helping them understand that it's okay to ask those questions. Um, when I was growing up as a young person, I wasn't given that opportunity to ask a lot of questions or have a lot of space to have doubts even. And I think that doubts are a part of faith. So that's one thing that I'm trying to do is open up 
we, we do do worship too and, and I'll pray with them, whatever um, they need. But I try to do things that also stretch them beyond what would be a normal church experience. So part of this is helping young people to feel comfortable stretching out and discovering truths in unforeseen places. Reverend Mark Forrester. Martin Luther King Jr. was really, for all intents and purposes, very uh, uh, very much uh, comfortable within the uh, sort of career trajectory that he had within the church that he shared with his father until things started really happening in our nation that were calling for a Christian prophet. And that his call to become a Christian prophet happened, at least in part, when he read Mahatma Gandhi's autobiography and studied Mahatma Gandhi's uh, various techniques of nonviolent resistance. And it was because Martin Luther King Jr. crossed over in sympathetic understanding with Mahatma Gandhi that he came back from that journey as a re-energized Christian prophet who was a better Christian because he had encountered the wisdom of the religious other. And so I really think that that's what we are seeking to do with each other, is that the point is not to have some age of Aquarius moment where it doesn't matter what religion you are, but where, it, where you actually enter into the experience of the religious other, take it seriously, hear it from a different point of view, and then reincorporate that into your own soul and spirit so that you are really a better believer within your own faith. I think that's the way you go with it. That's at least one path. Part of helping them discover their faith is hopefully um, broadening them to a sense of who their neighbor is um, and broadening them to a sense of the community around them. Lindsay Groves is a Presbyterian minister and Vanderbilt affiliate chaplain. Developing an awareness of neighbor, not just an awareness of who you think God is or who God is to you, but what your neighbor may think about that and and what your responsibility is towards your neighbor about that. And I think worship coming together in that communal sense really helps helps students develop that critically in a way that you don't necessarily get in the classroom. Or in the larger community. This was a reality experienced by Imam Osama Bahlul when he previously served as religious leader of the Islamic Center of Murfreesboro, Tennessee. The mosque there has faced bigotry, legal challenges, a bomb threat, and vandalism. I spoke with Jenna, my daughter, and I asked her, honey, she was in kindergarten, did anyone say to you anything bad in your class? Because I was concerned. She was the only Muslim in the class, maybe the only Muslim in the, in the school. She said to me, Daddy, they are my friends. This is what she said, literally. She, they are my friends. All of them are. She didn't see anyone in her class as a Jewish, Muslims, or Christians, white or black. She was able, as a child, naturally, without this discussion, without PhDs, without anything, to see them all as friends. We're exploring efforts to promote interfaith understanding on a college campus. You're listening to the Spiritual Care Podcast. I'm David Freudberg. To learn more and to access additional episodes of this podcast, along with other resources, please visit spiritualcarepodcast.org.
Um, can I get a spinach quiche and a side of oatmeal? This is Grin's Cafe, a popular student-run eatery at Vanderbilt, specializing in vegetarian and kosher dishes. In addition to their insatiable appetites, college students are frequently hungering for self-discovery, trying to view the traditions in which they were raised through the lens of their emerging personal identity. People sometimes ask Sean Curry, president of the Vanderbilt Interfaith Council and a religious studies student, about his own beliefs. And so when I tell them I'm, I personally consider myself non-religious, I think that's difficult at times to explain exactly what I mean by that. Um, I was baptized a Catholic. My parents grew up Catholic. As I was raised, I was, I guess I could say I was raised Christian to an extent until my parents sort of realized that they weren't very invested in their religious journey. Um, and so after maybe I was nine or 10 years old, we'd never consistently went to church. We never consistently um, engaged in any particular religious activities. And so it was never a big part of my life until maybe sometime during my time in high school, I had a sort of personal religious revival. Um, and so at times I stray to make the differentiation between spiritual and religious, but I guess that would be more along the spiritual side of things as opposed to the religious. Um, I can't explain exactly where that came from. I don't think it was prompted by anything in particular, but I started to read a lot more religious texts from different backgrounds. I started to go to different services and church uh, masses and, and experience a lot of different religious traditions just because I felt like I needed that at that point in my life. Um, and so as I came to college, I stumbled upon the Interfaith Council and thought that the, the questions they were posing and the mission that they were propounding was very important, not just for people who follow a particular religion or people who consider themselves spiritual, uh, but for the health of the community at large. And so that's also been, I'd say, a very significant part. Joining Sean were other students participating in the Vanderbilt Interfaith Council. I asked them to discuss their spiritual lives, representing a variety of traditions. I grew up with two Jewish parents and a loving Jewish, traditional conservative, um, Jewish conservative home. And I didn't really think about that until I transitioned to a public middle school in Chicago. And I became one of the token Jews of the school. And that kind of forced me to figure out what that meant um, and how I wanted to share that with other people. Marty Kaminer is an education major. And it, I think it made me realize um, how much I appreciated that part of me and that side of my family and um, the traditions behind the Jewish culture. Spiritually, I don't think, I've never considered myself so much as a spiritual Jew, as a like cultural Jew. I love the traditions. I love, and that includes some spiritual aspects, but the community feel of it was always most important to me. The like relationships that um, that also brings about through the readings um, and through the different teachings of being in a Jewish culture. Um, it connected me to other religious people in my high school, but very different. Good friends with um, a practicing Mormon, a girl who goes, um, whose father is a preacher and is very involved in Greek Orthodox. So somehow I had this friend group that was all spiritual and religious, but not alike each other, but in the same way, so alike.
Accepting people who practice different faiths is also a commitment of Noah Black, who's studying economics and math at Vanderbilt. He edits a campus Christian journal dedicated to faith and reason. Noah's vision of pluralism includes those who profess no religious affiliation, sometimes called nuns, a group estimated at a third of U.S. adults under age 30. Raised in a Presbyterian church-going home, Noah says his inner life started to blossom as a teenager. And my interest started to get peaked in, in high school uh, when I, there were other students who were, were sort of like spiritually focused, and uh, it, it prompted me to sort of consider what it actually was that I believed, uh, not simply just what my parents sort of did and what I, or what I did on a routine basis. Uh, but what it is that I believed. That process was throughout high school. Uh, there are various points I would consider myself sort of different spiritual classifications, I would suppose, um, from being sort of a nun to uh, being a you know, searching and, and, and sort of trying on, I suppose, different, uh, different faiths. The, the intellectual approach was, was, I felt was satisfied, and I, I sort of settled on Christianity, um, and I think that is when I really started to care about a lot more of the, of the sort of the spiritual aspects of, of, of my faith in terms of, of prayer and, and, and relating to other people and, and living in, uh, in a community of other, of other people who believe the same thing I do. Um, that's a lot of what my time has been defined, uh, defined by in college. Um, and so I think I've, So does that mean that this is a very important part of your life? It is a very important part of my life. Yeah, I, would, I would consider it the most important part of my life. Interfaith Council President Sean Curry. On a college campus in particular, speaking of religious background, speaking of religious experience, is definitely taboo to an extent. People don't often speak of their own experiences, and people may not also uh, be willing to hear about the experiences of others. Um, and for somebody, if there's somebody who does not consider themselves very religious, they, that might not be that big of a deal. But for people whose religion is a fundamental piece of who they are, if they feel like they can't speak about that, if they feel like people in their community aren't receptive to that, it feels like that's something that's taken away from them, that keeps them at arm's length from the rest of the community, perhaps. So why do you think it is that religion is maybe taboo or may be something that people keep very private? Why do you think that is the case? I've wondered about that. Um, especially in, in the role I now serve. And I can't put my finger on it exactly. I think in a very broad sense, people have associated organized, institutionalized religion with a form of oppression, whether that be historical or continuing to take place today. And so many people have rejected that perhaps in favor of perhaps a spirituality that isn't institutionalized, that isn't tied to any particular uh, rituals or practices or texts, uh, but is something that they still consider important to themselves. But I fully believe that not just for the sake of people on, say, a college campus who identify with a particular religion, but for the sake of the campus community at large, it would be very beneficial for us to slowly but surely try to um, bring down those, those hesitations and those taboos that we have to speak about these things that are very important to people's lives. 
This may help bring to light preconceptions, especially inaccurate ones, that people of one background may harbor about those of other backgrounds. Ryan Osman, a Vanderbilt student and practicing Muslim, works as a research assistant at the University Medical Center. Um, prejudices are the most dangerous when people don't realize that they have them. And I think it's very easy for people, I mean, it makes sense, but it's very easy for people to only surround themselves with um, people they're familiar with and people who agree with their opinions and, you know, like the bubble, um, where you're not getting any outside opinions or not learning about anything new. And that's when I think conversations or organizations like the Interfaith Council, where we try to create a safe space where people can learn about each other and people can express their opinions, are really, really important um, in order to recognize how something you may have never even thought of could be a prejudice that you have against another group or another person. Something that I think I have noticed on this campus is Vanderbilt students are very passionate. It's great. Marty Kaminer. It's really great to see what students are passionate about, coming from religion, gender issues, whatever it may be. It's really easy for that passion to be viewed or accidentally portrayed as aggression, not in any type of harmful manner, but the way in which sometimes Vanderbilt students speak so passionately, it's really easy to feel like you're getting attacked. And so instead of then welcoming in that conversation, it's more likely that you're maybe going to hide next time so that you don't feel like they're bombarding you with their opinion in a way that's really from a good place, from passion about sharing about it, about whatever they might be talking about. What, what would it mean to welcome in the conversation? I think it's almost like a follow-up conversation or stopping them and saying, you're saying things, but I don't even know what the term you're using means. Mm -hmm. But we're too sometimes scared based off either the judgments that are going to be made because we don't understand the term that is, you know, maybe thrown around a lot or because the way in which they're talking to you, whatever it is, we're scared to say, hold on, like, we should talk about it because I don't understand. But the emotions that get behind the emotions that are brought up because of the way that the message is conveyed make it really easy to just want to never have a conversation again with that person or about that topic. Sometimes the reason why these conversations are emotional and Vanderbilt students are so passionate about it is because it's something that affects their personal lives. Ryan Osman. I'm speaking... It, it could be religion, but I'm primarily thinking about like race. Like that is something that would affect you personally. And I think that conversation is very important, but I also think that um, if a person does feel attacked by the conversations that are happening, then they shouldn't be forced to have that conversation. For instance, I'm Muslim. So if someone asks, so sometimes people want to learn about my religion through me, but the thing is I'm not, I'm not a scholar. I just... I practice Islam the way I think is right, and I can't answer questions that people have about the religion because, to be honest, like honestly, I don't know enough about the religion to speak on it. But then people will want to ask me questions. Why does this happen? Why is it like this? Like the terrorist attacks or even something that's not like, why do you wear a hijab? Or 
even something even simpler than that. Like I wear skirts and then someone will say, why does she wear pants and you wear skirts? And then something like that. And if I don't want to answer that question, I shouldn't have to. So when I think of kind of grappling with individual prejudices that you might be conscious of or maybe not even aware that you have, I kind of think that there's two ways that I've successfully, not that the journey is over of figuring it out, but so far had um, positive experiences doing. And one of those is diving in and one of them is taking a step back. Um, And so what I mean by that is by diving in, usually it just starts with creating a genuine friendship with one person that can, before you realize it, like knock down whatever prejudices that you may have or assumptions that you put about their faith or identity that they either show outwardly or being the affiliations that they have on campus, you make assumptions of their personality or their traditions and habits. In high school, none of my, none of my friends were religious in any way. And so in college, that's been a big change that most of, a lot of my close friends are, are, are Christians. And so this group that I lived with sophomore year were, were mostly Christians. And so we were thinking about, you know, how can we try to understand not just another religion and like the facets of another religion, but to actually understand and, and meet and interact with people who practice that other faith. And you know, we, we sort of thought about the idea, like, like Sean had mentioned earlier, about how it's unlikely that you know, we'll, it, we'll sort of have some sort of discussion where everyone comes to this like great agreement about on some sort of grand religious tenet. But we thought that there are certain common objectives, and one of them is oftentimes service. And so what are the different projects that we could undergo um, with other faith groups surround, you know, surrounding service and you know, making the commuter, community a better place or serving the common good, but also in the process be able to interact with and get to know each other um, in, in both directions by doing that. Why were you inspired to do that? I think it was just really born of, of conversations I had with people uh, sort of the second semester of my of my freshman year, thinking about you know what is, what does it mean to live on a campus you know on a pluralistic campus, but call yourself a Christian, but know that you know it, it is not right to just surround yourself with Christians, and that, that we like we should be getting to know people of other faiths and, and, and other backgrounds, you know, whether that be a faith background or not. Noah Black resided in a living learning community on campus, mostly involving fellow Christians. The students made service commitments with guidance from a faculty advisor. Activities included helping members of Chabad to build a temporary hut known as a sukkah for a Jewish holiday, doing trash cleanup around Nashville with members of a local Hindu temple, and volunteering with people of other religions at a local homeless shelter. We're really not that different from, from you know, someone who, who, who is a Hindu or uh, someone who's a Jew or someone you know, who's, who's a Muslim or whatever. And um, I think that was the thing that struck us, is that like we don't have to agree on every single point, but there are a lot of things that we can agree on, and there's a lot of sort of all of our humanity that we share, that really the gulf that a lot of times can feel like, I know that we felt like a lot of our freshman year whenever we were just sort of around Christians was perhaps narrowed after that. When we use the word diversity and breaking down barriers, we often stop at just bringing people together. Um, like having an event where we have um, people from different organizations I'll say different religious organizations in the same place at the same time. And I think that's great. Uh, That's a fantastic step to take, but I think it is just a step. 
and working to actually open ourselves up to new friendships uh, where we can find relations with each other on a different level than we are used to. I guess that would be the biggest thing I'd point to. And I think that's the best approach we can take to fostering uh, respect for people of diverse backgrounds. Sean Curry, along with other student members of the Interfaith Council at Vanderbilt University in Nashville. Listening to the Spiritual Care Podcast, I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Noel Flatt. Editorial assistance from David Cruz, Andrew Andresco, Kathy Graham, and Ken Rogers. Webmaster Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Tony Buck. Our series is presented by Humankind Public Radio. To learn more and to access our other podcasts and related resources, please visit spiritualcarepodcast.org. That's spiritualcarepodcast.org. Thank you for listening. The executive producer is David Freudberg. Please subscribe to our free weekly podcast. The title is Humankind on Public Radio. You can find it at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, NPR One, and all major podcast services, as well as through our website. Again, the podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you'd like to support our program, please visit humankindpodcast.org. And at the top, click on How You Can Help. Thank you.